You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 71. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures made for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. All right, guys, Cassie here. Rigel couldn't make it. He's still event crashing a little bit after we went to camp. You'll hear some stories from our camp experience in one of the upcoming episodes. But today I am talking to Alexa Martinez and we're discussing finding love and moving on after you had a long-term relationship end. So this is a really tough topic because for a lot of us, when we've had a long-term relationship, it's really hard to move on. So we're going to be talking to Alexa and she's going to be giving us tips to know when it's time to move on, how to figure out what you want and what you need, and sharing her own personal experiences. Alexa is a sex and relationship by design coach and mentor on a mission to reform sex education and sexuality expression across the globe. She is from the deep south of Louisiana, and if anyone knows how to bust through taboos regarding sex, it's her. She's the founder of The Violet Butterfly and The Kaleidoscope, a blog, brand, podcast, and community with love, sex, and relationships as its center focus. Alexa also speaks internationally on the subjects. When she's not talking and teaching about sex, you can also find her spreading responsible sparkles with her biodegradable festival and glitter brand, Flow Glow. So without further ado, let's dive in. So aside for like your your typical bio, is there anything else that you'd like to add in? Well, I'm going to my first Burning Man this year and I'm really excited, but also incredibly nervous. And some of my friends have already given me my Burning Man name as Slitter because I'm known for sex and glitter. And so I'm like not... I feel like people are already going to call me that whenever I get to the playa, but um, (laughs) it's like two things that don't seemingly like kind of go together. It seems like if you put sex and glitter together, then it's kind of itchy, but the glitter that I, that I work with is biodegradable. So something that my partner and I really enjoy is like going to festivals and being really expressive and just like role-playing and getting into like different versions of ourselves. And we love doing that with like big festival kind of environments. And we noticed throughout our time that glitter is one of the single use plastics that a lot of people don't pay attention to. And so Mm -hmm. throughout our, our explorations, we saw a need for glitter that biodegrades since it like falls off of people's bodies at festival scenes and like goes directly onto the ground and the earth and you can't recycle it. So um, we founded a, a brand that's called Flow Glow. All of our festival stuff we call the Flow Life. And so it's pretty cool. It's made out of eucalyptus trees, you know, renewable. So <laughs> That's fantastic. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes if you want to check that stuff out. But I think it's really a cool idea because 
We go to a lot of events, Rigel and I. Rigel's not joining us today because he's still slightly burning out from the last event that we were at. So we're giving him a little rest today. But when you're out at events, like you want to dress up, you want to feel sexy and pretty. And one of the things a lot of folks use is glitter. And it's not something that you think about because it's not like a big giant water bottle or a Pepsi can or something like that. It's like, oh, it's just glitter. And I think it's really cool that you've taken that and kept in mind that it is something that isn't reusable and isn't necessarily as biodegradable as we think it is. Right. That's fantastic because mm-hmm. I'm I'm a hippie at heart and I love my environment. But yeah, that's that's really cool. What gave you originally the idea to come up with that? Well, we were moving well, we were going to festivals and we were going to different events and I had heard of biodegradable glitter and I didn't realize just the impact of microplastics on the environment. So I knew of like, like you said, like water bottles and different like bigger plastic things. So I knew that that was a problem, but I didn't even consider realize things like microbeads. So if you remember like body washes and like different lotions and stuff had these like little microbeads in them at one stage and was like, promote as like this big exfoliant thing. And then eventually none of our products had it anymore because they were banned because they were little tiny beads of plastic. And so those would immediately get like washed directly into the water system and go into, you know, the oceans and go into different waterways and fish would eat them and animals would eat them Mm -hmm. because they are usually kind of shiny. And then in a roundabout way, we wind up eating them or those things are, you know, they're, they're changed forever. So it's just like really insidious and glitter is one of those things too. It gets eaten by a lot of fish because it's shiny and it goes into the water systems. Can't, can't can't catch it with a net. And a lot of times what traditional glitter is made of, PET or PVC plastic, and then it has like heavy metal aluminum or some kind of coating on the outside of it. So none of it's FDA regulated. People put it on their bodies. Like whenever we're out at festivals, I don't know how much glitter I, ac- <laughs> I accidentally wind up eating. Um, or like sweating, our pores are open. And like a lot of people put like glue, different kinds of glue to put it on their bodies. And so that's also, you know, not regulated and sometimes toxic in nature. And um, yeah, we were just wanted, didn't want to have to not be shiny and out there. Because what I what I realized, I was kind of known for it, bringing glitter around with me. And mm-hmm. I'd put a little glitter on someone and then all it would be was like a little bit of glitter on their face or their chest or their shoulders. And like a completely different side of them would start showing as if I would have completely decked them out in a full on costume. And so I just love that little bit of permission. You know, it's like something so tiny, but it gives people permission to be a little bit more expressive, sometimes a lot of it more expressive. So I just wanted to rep a brand at first. I was like, let me just find a brand that already exists. And going through the process, there was barely anything represented in the United States. Because the U.S. hasn't banned glitter yet, but in the U.K., festivals have joined like an alliance and have banned glitters. In New Zealand and Australia, it's happening. And I think Canada is starting to happen as well. So I imagine the U.S. is going to be right behind it. So we took it as an opportunity, a market that was barely tapped into. We found our manufacturer in the U.K. We source it. We blend it. We have our different color variations. And you can get it at flowglowglitter.com. And my favorite thing is just to bring it around with me. You know, it's like magic fairy dust. So, <laughs> all right. So I got to ask a question sure. as someone who likes to do sexy things in glitter, mm-hmm. is it like body safe versus just wearing safe? So 
I don't recommend putting it in places that are very porous or liquidy or, you know, don't eat it, don't necessarily get it mixed with playtime juices. <laughs> but I mean, cons- like looking at what your other options are, it's way body safe in comparison. So I don't think that you're running that much of a risk. The majority of its composition is plant matter. So, and they're getting even better and better with the formulas. So it's, it's very close to being 100% plant matter. And so when it gets to that point, it's kind of like, yeah, might as well (laughs) just just have your fun. One of my kinks, I guess, I have a glitter kink a little bit, which is I, I really enjoy playing with someone, having a sexual experience with someone and afterwards them walking away and seeing that I've left my imprint of glitter on them, (laughs) whether it's on their thighs or like on their chest or on their face, wherever, but little reminiscences of me get to go with them. So uh, I'm always looking for, for options that work well in those very sexy situations. So obviously like not like using it as a decoration for genitals or anything, but (laughs) in the situation of it getting mixed around, because, you know, we do stuff with our partners. It's good to know. Absolutely. It's different than a bite or a bruise mark or, you know, a mark that happened during impact play. It's, it's a little different, but it lasts sometimes just as long. You know, <laughs> a week it'll go by and it's like, you still have glitter on you. You're like, oh, yep. Awesome. So I do want to hop into the topic of the day and I appreciate you talking to us about that because I was like, that's really interesting and awesome. Mm-hmm. But we're going to talk about finding love again after ending a long-term relationship. And this is particularly a good time for this because Rigel and I just did a huge guide Um, on the podcast. It was our longest podcast ever that we've ever done, over two hours. And it's all about breaking up. And I feel like this is a good follow-up for that. You know, like a lot of us, when we have a relationship that ends, figuring out how to progress from this is something I've been in for a long time. This is the relationship that maybe I even feel like was part of my identity. Like we sort of start to form ourselves around the identity of being blank's partner or being, you know, one of the people of the couple, sort of the Brad and Angelina. What was that for a long time? The Brangelina. Brangelina. You know, we we, we end up thinking of ourselves that way. Mm -hmm. And after a relationship ends, moving past that and actually not just getting by, but moving to a point where we can find other romantic relationships is hard. Mm -hmm. So I'm really glad that you brought this topic up and I'm really excited to talk about it. Could you tell me a little bit why this topic is important to you or special to you? Yes. I mean, depending on how far back (laughs) you'd like for me to go. I mean, I grew up in deep South Louisiana and it's like my environment was very, I I call it Catholic-ish. And I understood relationships needed to happen in a particular kind of way. Like my grandparents were almost married 50 years, but I watched my mom go through, she's on her fifth marriage. And so throughout my growing up, I would see like my sister and my brother-in-law together since high school. And they have two kids like going off to college now. And then my grandparents for this long term, but then I'd see my mom like kind of going through these cycles of love and breakup and heartbreak. And my world would change as a kid every time a different 
man would enter her life and like bring her joy and give her purpose. And she'd take on a new identity and like everything in my world would start to shift. But then I at least had these other like grounding forces of what I thought relationships were supposed to be like, you know, my own life growing up, I thought my mom was doing it wrong. And I was just like, so afraid that whenever I was going into relationships that I was going to be like my mom, like, that's what my biggest fear was that I was going to do it over and over and over again like that. And I wasn't going to find my, the one. And, um, so like growing up, I had a lot of different models for that and like what was right or what was wrong and all the things. Growing up, like I had the high school sweetheart relationship too, ended at the end of college. I lost my identity is what I felt like. I didn't know who I was. That was such a painful process. About six months after I wound up in the next relationship and I thought, oh gosh, this is going to be it because I'm not going to do it like mom. And then that one took me literally all over the world. I joined cruise ships and I lived on luxury cruise lines for almost six years. And that was like tumultuous at best. That was when I entered into my first, well, I would say the only time I experienced a sexless relationship. And it was just like, it had its own bag of craziness. I kept traveling after that and eventually was introduced to, I'd say the pillars of how I wound up doing what I do now. Someone gave me sex at dawn. Then I read the ethical slut. And then um, I, I wound up having deep philosophical conversations with like partners for the first time. And then I wound up getting introduced to BDSM and kink. And I became so fascinated with all of the other options that there were in sex and in relationship that I started teaching people around me just because I thought it was fun. It was really cool. And I found myself being a bridge. Like I was just normal enough that all the normal people like wanted to have those conversations with me versus me being like way too out there for them to really be able to resonate with. And the, my story continued to unfold. And eventually I wound up having people want to pay me to coach them. And like, I want to do a relationship in a different way or in a new way. I want to do sex in a different way, a new way. And eventually I wound up with the clients that I work with now are typically female bodied individuals who are out of a long-term relationship and wanting to do it differently. All of it. Don't want to do the cycles anymore. And I, and I guess since I... Like I find myself in a relationship like no other, like I've never experienced before. And I'm so proud of the relationship that I am currently cultivating with my partner, Jordan. But having the experiences that I had in the past, traveling to nearly 30% of the world before I was like 26, 27 years old, and then having all of the different relationship dynamics growing up, I have a lot of stories that resonate with a lot of people. And it just seems like this particular group of women who they, the age can range. My last big group of um, private clients ranged from like 25, 26, all the way to 65. And they all had stories that, that resonated with each other, even with the big age gap. And so I found myself like giving a lot of advice and, and helping people redefine what they wanted to do in their sex and love life and also heal and grow and gain knowledge about different aspects of who they are and what's available in the world that led to healing the previous relationships that they had been in and forgiving themselves for things that maybe they'd done in the past so they can move on into the future in a way that feels really good, really embodied, really authentic in a way that they can be excited for love again. That's awesome. And I feel like a little bit of your story parallels with sort of how I ended up doing what I do, which was I started doing the things and then helping people. And then people started asking me like, Hey, can I 
can can I work with you? Can you help guide me? Um, so I think that's really cool. Um, it's great when sort of you get called to do something versus seeking it out. So that's amazing. And I think for a lot of women, it's hard to move past a breakup. Sometimes it's it's devastating where you can't like you, we both kind of mentioned the identity thing where it's like, okay, where do I go from here? Especially if it was something where your relationship you relied on for your income or your stability, right? It's a big, big shift. And trying to figure out what you actually want and need from there can be really, really challenging. Absolutely. And co-parenting too. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole other area. And it's so hard to balance when it comes to kids, like trying to stay your own individual from your your no longer partner, but trying to do it in an amicable way can be a big challenge. Mm-hmm. So I know for myself personally, I had, so Rigel, who we do the show with, we've been together for a very long time. And for a lot of folks, they think, well, oh, you're polyamorous. You have multiple partners. So it's super, super easy to end a long-term relationship because you have another person right there to rely on or be with. And something I have to correct folks is long-term breakups are, are difficult regardless of what kind of structure you have. And I had a partner even parallel to being with Josh, who I was with for a few years. It was an amazing relationship. She was beautiful and awesome and caring. Our kids got along really well. I have a son and she had two two little ones. And at the end of that relationship, it was really hard for me, even with being a non-monogamous person, a person who had another partner, to feel motivated to explore other relationships, to not shut down, to really get myself back into that headspace of being open to love. And I like to remind folks that it's not this commodity of people, right? Just because you're polyamorous, it's not like, oh, well, you you drop one off, you pick one up. Mm-hmm. Anytime you lose somebody who's super close to you, it leaves a, a hole there that you have to heal and regain yourself from. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and my partner Jordan and I are just starting to navigate this space. And I, I've I've been in differing dynamics and relationships before, but this is, you know, this relationship that I'm cultivating now is different to the ones that I've had before. And um, we're starting off with monogamish. And that's like the the beginning stages of, you know, he's pretty new to this way of living and loving. And so we're baby steps every so often. And then every so often kind of a a cannonball call it, but I can feel it already. Like even in our conversations of what type of partner we would want to bring in and what type of just, just already kind of getting attached to the idea. And so the idea that we could go into something and love even a person together, like that's, you know, so many different types of connection, like him with her, if it's a female that we bring in the relationship, I think that that's probably what we're going for to bring in our relationship first, but for him to have a connection with her, for me to have a connection with her, for all three of us to have a connection together. It's like, if she winds up not being in the relationship anymore, we can already feel, and this person doesn't even, I mean, she might exist out there somewhere, but like she doesn't even exist already. 
uh, are in our relationship dynamic yet. And I can already kind of feel like, like what would happen, you know, like we have, we have lots of um, friends that do different types of relationship dynamics. We were just with one of our favorite throuples this past weekend. And like the thought of them not being that throuple is just like even kind of heartbreaking. So yeah, breakups are painful and moving on can be really difficult. And it takes, I think it takes action, you know, or like repetitive action to get out of the state of the pain and also like allowing the pain to happen and not shaming yourself for feeling it, but also not letting the pain take residency for too long because then it can affect so many other things that are going on in your life. But that transition from we were in a relationship, whether that's with one person or many people and wanting to get into another one, it's like, how do you find that hope? How do you find like the will and the drive and ugh, and the dating landscape today? And it looks so different than it did 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And like for some of my clients, like online dating was not a thing when they got together with mm-hmm. their, you know, the relationship that they were in before. And it's like the whole idea, like if you just say the word Tinder, they immediately like cringe. I mean, I don't know that many people who, when we do talk about Tinder, don't cringe, but, you know, <laughs> but like this whole idea of like needing to do it that way, you know, and I get a lot of the same kind of responses, like it just feels so impersonal and it's like, you know, it's like, a, it's like, it's so gamified and, you know, people ghost and just all the different things, like how to navigate that space. And then also out of all of it, really for the person to get clear on what they truly want. And then in the next relationship, and then not try to make every person that gives them attention, not try to turn that person into the thing that they want. Absolutely. I have a client because I do primarily my coaching is helping non-monogamous folks in their current relationships, right? Mm -hmm. But I do take on some dating clients. And I had one a while back who was like, the last time I dated, I was in high school. Mm -hmm. Like I met a girl at a dance. I thought she was amazing. We fell in love. We had a family and we were married for 25 years. Mm -hmm. And it's very, very different having to like relearn all of that and not feel like, well, I lost the one, right? Like the one person that could love me, the one person that could connect with me on those kind of levels and not fall down that, that rabbit hole of thought process of like, that was it. Like I lost my opportunity. That was my only chance for love in the future. So how do you recommend not getting stuck in that place of not having hope? Like what helps folks find hope moving forward? So when, when I have clients that come to me and, or friends or or anyone really, I think it's, to focus on, yes, you want love. Yes, you want partnership, intimacy, connection, touch, sex, all of those things. I always find it kind of curious when some people say, you know, I'm just going to take some time to, to figure out me. And while I think that that's beautiful, a lot of times if, if a person is only in their own world and only in their own space and only doing them, in air quotes, then they don't mm-hmm. actually get to learn and grow like they would be able to in the dynamic with another person. You know what I mean? It's like working with somebody else or like having a relationship that brings out what I, what I'm really about. So I think some people, some of my clients are like, 
<laughs> I find it that they get so wrapped up in like the next person that they communicate with, or the next person that they go on a date with, they want that to be it. They don't want to have to date. They don't have to like do it with multiple people and figure it out. To not get stuck, what I usually tell anyone is well, the first thing that comes to mind is community. Where are you spending your time and the types of people that are around you? And, you know, if someone is really interested, I would say in, in dating for the first time in a while and is completely nervous and the online stuff is nervous, I, I ask like, how can we get clear in your identity and what you actually want and what's going to make you happy. And then let's connect you with community in your surrounding area so that you can start to meet people so that you can start to show up and shine in differing relationships and then potentially meet in real life people. So not to get stuck is to continue doing, I would say, taking action and then continuing to get clearer and clearer on what it is that you want. And so journaling, meditating, I'm such a fan on, on, I don't like to get too wrapped up in the like personality quiz type things, but <laughs> I really, I really love what that can, that the language that that can give to some people. And so if it has to do with like relationships specifically, then ask yourself questions about what type, like, what are you okay with when it comes to a relationship? Are you looking for strictly, you know, a traditional container of monogamy? Are you looking for some kind of openness and like what that's a huge umbrella. And so what does that look like? And then, you know, that narrows down the dating pool per se, but some people that I work with, I'm like, you know, we're getting really, really super clear. And it's like, I, I keep asking them questions. They're like, but who, who's going to fit this tall order, so to speak. And I'm like, this is really helping you to zero in on who's, who's a fuck. Yes. Like, you know, right away, right. Is the person a fuck? Yes. Cause if it's like, if it's like a, uh, I can try to make that work. No, <laughs> no. Like we're getting clearer and clearer on like what's how to feel a fuck yes in your body is like, you get pretty clear on what it is that you're actually looking for next and then not necessarily settling. Like there are some things that can be on your deal makers. And then there's some things that can be on your list of like deal breakers. And if the deal breakers are present, then it doesn't matter how many deal makers are on the other side. It's a no. And so I think like helping with the decision-making process helps to keep the things flowing as well. Yeah. That's usually like the first step that I talk to like my clients on, you know, in their relationships in general, like that's not even just a finding new partners that's in your relationships, right? Is what is it that I actually need and want from the people that I have in my life? And like the second thing is what do I have to offer? And being really clear on that, I think actually helps you find prospective partners that you're not wasting your time with. Obviously, you're going to go through the process of meeting people and not everybody's going to fit, but you also don't want to spend all of your time surrounding yourself by partners that are not even in that possibility, right? So what I mean by this is if I'm a non-monogamous person, which I am, spending my time looking in a dating pool of, you know, conservative Christian men <laughs> is not going to help me find the polyamorous, open-minded femi that I'm looking for, right? Like it's, 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 so you want to put yourself in that place. And when you mention community, I think a lot of people take that for granted, right? Like if I'm non-monogamous and I want to find non-monogamous partners, getting myself involved in a community where there is non-monogamous folks is going to help with that. If I'm kinky, 
putting myself in the kink community, meeting other like-minded people. And the cool thing is, is that maybe the people I meet aren't open to dating me, but that's where you network, right? Like, it's like, oh, you know, my friend John would really, really, I think you guys would connect. Oh, well, then you get to meet friend John, who then you really, really connect with. Um, And I think we take that for granted now because there is so much of the technology space you know, the Facebook and the tins and the okay Cupid and all of that. And we remove ourselves from situations where we can actually form bonds that network us into finding prospective partners in even a more meaningful and connective way. Mm, absolutely. Awesome. So do you feel like when folks are working out of a relationship, that there is a difference between the adjustment from moving from something casual than moving from something that is long-term? So, I mean... Is it a time thing or is it an entanglement thing? I guess mm-hmm. is my question. It's really interesting because I, if I think about my my personal experiences, right? Like... Um, And just looking at all the, you know, the different people that I work with. And also something I hadn't mentioned yet is that I have, you know, my online community space is several thousand people. And we're talking about this type of stuff all day, pretty much every day, like all of the sex and all of the relationships. And so like after spending time with the community space, which the community space is all gendered, all sexes, and then also with my private clients and looking at my personal experiences, I've had some casual, I wouldn't even call them casual because they were so heartfelt and, and intentional in some ways, but short term, like didn't last long. That was just almost like a bandaid over a bullet wound, just like getting ripped off and less like so much emotion and pain and like take has taken me a decent amount of time to move through what came up even after that something, you know, so-called casual relationship. And I've had relationships that were long-term. And while, yes, there was a lot of entanglement, the pain was different. The pain in, in, you know, a longer relationship, like one that I have in mind now, like it was betrayal and it was anger. And it was like a completely different kind of pain that I was moving through versus the other, what if, and it could have been, and could I have done something different to like have this turn into something that I really truly wanted it to be. And, you know, so yes, time. Um, I just think that it's, you know, kind of unique to each connection because there have been relationships where I felt like I've stayed in for a little bit too long. And by the time that it ended, I had already grieved it and, and moved on before it was actually like a spoken thing that, Hey, we're not going to be together anymore. It's interesting. I can't remember where I read it. It might've been in an Esther Perel book. It could have been somewhere completely different. It was kind of like a, a study on relationships and how men and women, and, you know, in a heteronormative kind of relationship that in that dynamic, typically what is seen is that the female in the relationship has essentially come to terms with the relationship ending so that by the end of the relationship, she's kind of already gone through a bit of the grieving process. Like there was some anger that showed up. There was some like sadness. There was all these different things. So when the relationship actually ended, it's looked at as what typically plays out after that is that the female winds up in out of that relationship. She winds up dating the next person sooner than mm-hmm. her male counterpart. And then her, the male is kind of like, they always, you know, in that generally speaking, think, uh, you know, we're just going to keep figuring it out. 
Like, it'll be okay. Like it's going to, it's fine. And then when the relationship actually ends, it's like, Oh shit, she meant it. And how dare she? <laughs> and I'm so hurt. And sometimes I, like, I find, you know, some men's like a kind of victimy and how dare, how could she? And their grieving process and starts there and takes a bit of time. And then eventually they wind up moving on to, you know, the next person while she looks like she's like footloose and fancy free and maybe going, not that she's not dealing with pain, but she's spent some time, like while she was actually in the relationship going through that stuff. So. Absolutely. And I think what you said, as far as it's very individual is important as well, just from the factor that I look at some of the relationships that I've had and I'm doing air quotes that you can't see, but I've had more casual relationships, meaning like there wasn't a huge entanglement, maybe not a lot of time spent with that person. You know, if you look at a month's time, maybe we only actually interacted every other weekend, you know, for a couple hours, but it was a long period of time, like over a few years. I had a partner just recently, and we're still on really great terms, but we've been together for over a year. And it's not even that the relationship is fully ended at this point, but it was a big shift, you know, a big change as far as how the relationship is now structured. Now we're more just kind of like play partners than partners. Mm -hmm. And even though that relationship defined by others, and I, again, air quotes, casual because it wasn't something where like we're raising a family, not the situation that I have with Rigel and Amanda, where we're living together, raising a child together, building a home together. But from having someone in your life that long, and even if it is a casual thing, it was a huge impact with that changing. And as I said, it's not necessarily that we broke up as much as we sort of changed our relationship, but that in and of itself was really, really hard to like look at and be like, oh, there's this difference now. I wouldn't even say it's a loss, but change is hard. So why do you think for some people, because you're talking about some of your clients where um, the female person, right? The, the, the woman in the relationship gets to a point where she's grieving in that, in the relationship, right? So they've, they've already come to the conclusion that things are, are bad or not good. Why do you think it's still difficult, even with that realization, to move on? Goodness. I mean, looking at a couple of, of clients that I have right now that are pretty present, the thing that, that continues to happen is they're wrapped up in the potential that they see in their partner, that there's so much potential, but they're just not there. And so they like want, you know, if I stay a little longer, will that potential be realized? And what if, you know, what if I leave now and he has this like major breakthrough and then he becomes everything that I ever needed and everything that I ever wanted um, as a father, as a partner, as a lover in sex and relationship. Like it's a, it's, it's a lot that a lot of people rely on, especially in, um, you know, monogamous type partnerships. It's like a lot to put on that one person to be the everything. And, um, you know, and that plays out in varying degrees and all kinds of different dynamics, but, but, you know, look, thinking about these, these couple of women that I'm, I've been working with, they were grieving and moving through it, even when the relationship was ending. And now they've made the decision because they've come, you know, it's like, <laughs> I remember in my own relationships where I was like, 
if I wind up crying like this one more time, I'm done. You know, like in the bathroom, like gagging through tears and coughing and snot and just like, this is really painful and awful. And you know, raging for a moment and like just grieving like sadness for a moment. And then, and then like the next day, just trying to remember all the good stuff, you know, why am I here in the first place and kind of ensuing in a cycle of now we're kind of like in forgiveness and it's going to be okay. We're going to choose better things and we're going to talk to each other in a different way. And, you know, we're just magically going to learn how to respond to each other's triggers and, you know, traumatic things that that have happened in life and like what happens in our current reality because of those things that happen. We're just like magically going to be able to figure it out. And all of a sudden we're going to say sorry. And our communication skills are going to be better (laughs) without doing any work or practice. It's like that thought and the belief. And then it winds up, like I said, like a cycle ensuing of sorts. And so like the people that I'm working with now, they're working with me because they want to move past. They want to go on to the next thing though, you know, especially when there's kids involved. Um, that's like the other layer to one in particular that it's like, you know, our daughter is like maybe four or five and cries when they part ways. And like that pain of like, I want to just like, what if we can figure this out, you know? And, you know, and then I wind up having separate conversations that, that are outside of that where, then the conversation is like faith and hope for like what she can call in to her life in the future and like what else it could be and how happy she could be. And, but then it's also like, you know, (laughs) kind of daunting and almost overwhelming thinking of like bringing somebody else in. So it's like a lot of feels, a lot of feels transitioning out of one into another. If you have kids in the mix too, Um, I've found that when the kids are a little bit older, like the people that I work with that have teenagers, um, it's usually a bit easier because they, like kids are about to leave the nest. They, they feel their sense of freedom, you know, and they feel a little less like they need the consistent and constant help from a partner, um, you know, with the, just like actual raising of the kids. And so whenever they wind up having like a little bit more freedom to like go and do, it's, I find like the people that wind up having teenagers and stuff, it's where they're, they're oftentimes the ones that are ready for like crazy bucket list sex experiences. Now, I don't know if that's like very common, but the people that find themselves working with me and I'm like, okay, now we're navigating, you know, Tinder has now become FetLife or it's like BDSMDate.com is now the thing that they're looking at. And they're just feeling so like frisky and like wanting to you know, so then building community looks different when community used to be like the kids, parent, like their kids, friends, parents, you know, it's like, and, and like family friends shifting out of like the shared family friends and the shared community into like your own individual community. And like, I, I love like people who get me sexually. I love being friends with them. Like we get to talk about all kinds of personal vulnerable things. And like, I get to make jokes that they're going to understand, but like my family back and my friends back down in South Louisiana will have no idea what the heck I'm talking about. It's really awesome to have the experience without shame, Yes, right? Like to be able to explore those things and talk about those things and not have the shame there. So you can be vulnerable and open and walk away like feeling, this is great. I was able to connect with somebody and walk away like, more empowered than I started that conversation is a huge thing. Yes. And I like how you were saying, 
that folks who their children are more closer to leaving the nest, Mm -hmm. how different that is. Uh, It's funny that you were talking about like going out and sort of trying those bucket list items. We we just got back from an event and Rigel was having a conversation with this woman where she's like, you know, I have only ever had sex with two people in my entire life. And this was a big kink event, right? Like this is like the kinkiest of kinky events ever. (laughs) And there at the place, there was a thing called a Dirthraki wedding. And basically it was like an orgy type thing. It was Game of Thrones themed, big old party. And she's trying to get this dress on and Rigel ended up helping her out with the dress. And she's like, you know, I've only ever been with two partners before. Me and my husband got divorced. You know, now the kids are out of the house. And I want to leave this event with some new experiences and fuck it, even some regrets maybe, but I want to go try some new things. And I think a lot of people get stuck when they have smaller children thinking of one, they can't break up with their partner because of the whole societal perspective of, well, if you split the home, right, Mm -hmm. your child is then suffering, Mm -hmm. which isn't always the truth. Like it's sometimes worse for children to stay in situations where two people really can't be together, particularly if that relationship goes down the path of being very resentful and nasty and mean it's a worse situation. But when kids get older, there isn't that like the thought process of like, oh, well, they're going to be growing up in a broken home. It's more like they're getting ready to grow up and be out of the house. And now I can explore things and do things. Mm-hmm. And it was really awesome to see her like, you know, I've, I'm going to go do these things. I'm going to go try these things. Even if I find out later, it wasn't for me. Like I'm going into this curious and open and if it doesn't work out, great. At least I got to have that experience, that bucket list item, if you will. So yeah, there definitely is a big difference there. So how do you know that you are in a place to move on? Because there is the importance of like grieving and processing and being ready for new experiences. How does someone know that? For me, right before I met Jordan, I was dating someone in New York and I was living in New Orleans and it was supposed to be this like very casual, easy breezy, light, playful. I would go and visit, like was just really fun and amazing. And at the time I was very much like, I'm not looking for anything long-term. And as our relationship unfolded and our communication was like the best that I'd ever experienced up to that point, I wound up getting really attached and I fought it the whole way. And when it finally was like, okay, I knew it, he knew it. It was like time for it to end. And even as I go to talk about it, it's been over a year and a half, like a little longer than a year and a half. And I still kind of feel the tightness in my chest because it was such a, it was so like, I want to say the words important. Like this was such an important time in my life. It just, the end was so painful. I had no idea it was going to be that painful. And there was so much love. We were so like beautiful with each other was the first time that it was like a very, I will use the term like conscious, consciously uncoupling kind of experience where there was like a lot of love, um, the whole thing. And then, you know, our relationship lasted about six months and I was just like in it when it comes to like the, the feels and 
I would be okay. And then I'd be like crumbling on the floor in the middle of my kitchen, like gasping for air. I was just like, why is this so painful? I just didn't understand why it was so painful. And a couple of, not a couple of weeks, maybe about a month or so, maybe a little longer, I wind up doing like a Facebook live about a, one of the podcasts from my show about somebody who came on and we were talking about breakups and things like that. And Jordan happened to watch my Facebook live and we hadn't really interacted with each other. We were just Facebook friends. We had lots of friends in common and he was in California and I was in New Orleans and he realized I was talking about heartbreak and like on this video, I was actually like crying and, but like very, very focused, even while I was like being emotional. And he, I think that he took that as, oh, this beautiful chick that I'm so enamored by, giving him some words there, is single. <laughs> like he's crying. So she's single, you know? And he messaged me and started this, you know, this kind of back and forth. Like I want to, I would like to get to know you. And so we actually use essentially Facebook as a dating platform. It's a really easy way to learn if someone is into the same things you are. And for me, that was, you know, a pretty easy way to determine if that person's grammar was up to my standards to date. So <laughs> we wound up, he asked me like to do a FaceTime date. You know, we were connecting and a few weeks later, he actually flew to New Orleans to meet me. Now this was just on the end of one and starting another. And I was so, I was kind of in my feels about like, I don't want to do this thing like my mother. I don't want to go from one into the other and rely on the other in order to heal what I'm currently healing to like distract me. And so in the very you know, towards on the end of the one and the beginning of the other, I would sit with Jordan and I'd tell him like, while I'm so happy that this new thing is in my life, I want to be very clear that I am grieving. Like I would, I want to be clear and upfront that this, like my heart is filled with joy and then a snap of a finger, it's filled with grief. And so as long as you understand what I'm going through, like on any kind of level and can have you know, empathy and compassion through it, then I'm happy to continue connecting and, and, you know, moving in a direction with our relationship, but just know, like, I might get off the phone with you and I'm laughing and within five minutes I'm crying. And, you know, I was like kind of writing poetry at this time and all the things. And, and so sometimes you won't know, (laughs) It's like, sometimes it's just, it's happening. I think the the key in all of it is to have, you know, radical self-awareness. Like if you're struggling with the feelings and struggling with the emotions and you look at relationships in the past and what was the thing, you know, more often than not, when I hear people talk about breakups and ending of relationships, they say, what was the thing that, you know, made it end? And oftentimes they say communication. It was like, we couldn't communicate with each other. Okay. If that has been the thing in the past, then what are ways that you can go and get better at communicating? Like, what are ways that you can learn more about yourself and how you operate? What makes you tick? The patterns that continue to unfold in your life so that you can gain a self-awareness around it that shifts how you react to things, that gives you language to be able to talk to another person that you're connecting with so that they have more tools to be able to handle you (laughs) and vice versa. (laughs) You know, like this is a big thing, this relationship stuff, like for... For some people, they're in it, you know, until the end of their days, like treat it as such too. And goodness, the next thing that just like really pops in my head is start having the conversations about what kind of relationship dynamic you want to have in the beginning. There's so many people that 
like fidelity or infidelity winds up being the thing that ends the relationship. And then when I asked them how they started their relationship, there was never any like explicit conversation about sexual exclusivity. There was so many, like so much gray area and like almost a fear that they wouldn't talk about it. And then it wound up being this, you know, relationship filled with expectations wrapped in, you know, kind of wrapped around their genitals. And then by the end of it, it was just like things being hidden. And I didn't know you would feel that way. And then like an end of the relationship. And it's like, have the difficult conversations at the very beginning when you're still really smitten with each other. When like you look at that person, it's almost like they can't do anything wrong. Have difficult conversations when you still look at them like that. And then have a plan of action, you know, kind of create a plan of action that like, if there's a lot of common themes in the relationships you've had in the past and common relation, common themes in other people's relationships that, you know, what are those common themes and bring that into your conversations in the beginning. It helps so, so, so much. And if you can create like a, okay, we're not expecting or calling this thing in, in the future, but if we wind up having this show up in our relationship, how are we going to handle it? What are we committed to? What are we really committed to? And what kind of foundation are we really truly building off of? And I think those are the things that that can build a a casual dynamic or a short-term dynamic or longer term, midterm, any of the terms can build it for success. That's awesome. So a question which I'm probably going to uh, go into a little bit with you, depending on what your answer is. Do you think that you have to be comfortable being alone before you can be with somebody else? Because you often see that in like Cosmopolitan and written in like the things like, oh, you have to be fine with being single before you can go searching for a new relationship and before you can move on to finding love again. What is your perspective on that? It's interesting because I kind of think both of the things (laughs) I'm like, kind of yes. And kind of no, I think that it's really important to be able to spend time with yourself without feeling some kind of like need for an attachment to some other person. I have found myself and myself the happiest with how relationships have unfolded and new relationships have been forged when I've been able to be totally fine and totally okay with spending time by myself, being happy or not just happy, happy is, you know, it's way on the one end of the spectrum, but like being content, being content with myself. I think that there's, I don't want to say that there's a difference, but if I think about Jordan and I going down this road of having our monogamous relationship where we're hopefully going to be dating someone else and like him going on a date with someone that I also care about or them having an experience or whatever, it's critical that I am able to manage how I spend that time alone. If he's somewhere else and I am, you know, on my own, how I coach myself, soothe myself, care for myself. That's important. Um, So those are things that I'm, I have been able to figure out on my own and within a relationship. I think that you, I think that a person gains critical pieces to that alone puzzle when they are alone and when they are also in relationship dynamics. And I hope that that was like, not too super vague, but no, not at all. See, I, I, I question that a little bit when I'm talking to like my clients and 
just friends and things like that. I think there's a balance. I think that when we fall way too on the side of like, well, you have to be completely okay being single. Well, you can spend years being single and not okay because you really are yearning for a relationship. You really are yearning for that um, connection. And you don't want to wait forever trying to be okay not having that, right? Right. But you want to be able, and this is even for people who are in relationships, you need to be in a space where you are good with yourself, where being alone, you're not going, oh, well, I don't know what to do because I don't have someone else to rely on, whether that's hobbies or interests or even just, you know, taking care of yourself. You want to be in a place where you can do that on your own, regardless of being in a relationship or not being in a relationship. But it doesn't mean that you have to be perfectly happy Mm -hmm. not ever having a partner. I know for myself, I am very much a touch-oriented person. Like if you look at my, my needs, right? Like as far as like my love languages and whatnot, touch is a big one. So I know that if I didn't have any partners for a long period of time and I wasn't getting touch, I would be unhappy regardless of me spending time with my hobbies and doing myself soothing and things like that. It would be something that I would not be happy about. And I probably shouldn't stay in that state hoping that at some point I will get to a place where I'm fine with not having touch. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You gave a lot more words. I feel like you that has been a thought that you've considered quite a bit, but that's that is definitely it because I do work with people who are out of long-term relationships, but they've been out of their long-term relationship for years. And that's the theme is well, you know, I'm working on me and I and I want to be able to be alone. You know, like and then eventually they get really good at being alone. And then they kind of question if they're able to go into the relationship. It's, it's really interesting. Anyway, you gave a lot of, a lot more language to what I was definitely thinking and feeling. Awesome. Yeah. It sounded like you were along the lines, but I think it's because it's one of those like taglines that people get so familiar with, which is like, I've got to be great being by myself. And it's like, well, we are pack animals when we get down to it, right? Like humans are not meant to be alone. And for a lot of us, we'll never get to a place where we're fully happy not having some sort of intimate connection. And that's okay. It's just being able to find that place where you can take care of yourself and you can seek out your hobbies and interests without the dependency of another human. Right. It's a little different. (laughs) So... Talking about all this moving forward and everything, the last thing I kind of want to spend a little time on, because I think a lot of folks end up in this situation where they bounce a little too fast, right? They end up in relationships that are like the rebound relationships versus ones that are with intention and patience. So do you have some tips for folks um, as far as not ending up in rebound relationships, particularly ones that are not going to serve them or are going to be unhealthy. The kind of relationships where it's like, if I was really in a good mindset, I would have never placed myself in this relationship. But because I just went through a breakup and I was feeling lonely, boom, now I'm in this relationship and having to deal with something that isn't healthy or isn't serving maybe myself or maybe the two of us. What are some ways to avoid that situation? Mm -hmm. 
Well, the first thing that came to mind was, I'm not sure if you can. <laughs> like that brings me back around to the self-awareness stuff, but like there's, there's something that's being learned in those instances. For me, there were times where I found myself right into the rebounds and I'd be like doing my, what I used to call the walk of shame. It's not the walk of shame anymore, but you know, leaving someone because I lived, like I said, I mentioned briefly um, that I lived on cruise ships for a while, you know, after I was in a four-year relationship and then I spent two years on ships by myself and I'd be like leaving somebody else's cabin. Like that's, that's a setup, right? Anybody that you could be meeting, you know, that they have a bed and a private, you know, most of them like a private room. So it's like, and the drinks in the crew bar is like a dollar, you know, and that was at a time when there was lots of alcohol and kind of partying and stuff in my, in my reality. And like be leaving somebody's cabin after the long-term relationship ended. And there was like this huge period of sexlessness that I felt like my rebound was like, I'm so liberated. I can do whatever I want now. I'm going to make up for all that sex I didn't have. And I'm going to go, go be free. And people are going to show me attention and all these different things. And I would go and I would have the sex and I would go back and I would be so miserable, just like crushed. And while the experience might've been great with that person for that night or a couple of nights, cause I might, might wind up finding myself back, you know, in their bed or them in my bed, you know, a couple of days later, a week later, something like I knew that it was wrapped in like pain. I knew it was wrapped in like, I wasn't sure what I was doing and I was just kind of flailing, moving to the next thing. And it took, I guess, an, enough of that to eventually see it for what it was. But I don't know if I could have seen it for what it was unless I went there. And I was so thankful for eventually having people to teach me what was going on. And I was so grateful when I wound up starting I would say like a, a personal development journey, a spiritual development journey that pulled me out of those things in the way that I was in them before so that I could look at them in a different way, look at my actions in a different way. And while that didn't mean that I wasn't going to go and have the one night stand again, it meant that I was going to leave it in a different place. So then I would leave it going, okay, I know that this didn't serve me. So what were the things that I can be grateful for about that experience? And I, and in that list I'm also grateful to myself because I'm starting to see things in a different way. I'm starting to experience myself in a different way. And then eventually my actions wound up shifting and changing. But I, I, looking back, I don't think that I would have been able to get where I am now, how I experience relationships, sexual experiences and new relationships, if I wouldn't have gone through what I went through before. And I don't know if it would have, you know, if I would have been surrounded by the best mentors, I don't think that that would have changed anything. Maybe if I would have been surrounded by those best mentors while I was growing up and in my formidable years, but that wasn't the case. And also that's not a guarantee. So tips and advice is a tricky mm -hmm. one in that, in that regard, because while I don't think that every lesson needs to be learned the hard way, it's a part of some people's paths and some people's journeys to learn certain lessons a bit of a hard way. Absolutely. I think, you know, as far as the advice that I would give, right, as far as the only thing that I, I think, you know, you hit it, we kind of all have to go through our own experiences. But I think the times that we end up in the most unhealthy rebounds is when we're not really clear on our boundaries. And regardless of what you're going through, you really have to be clear on those things. So maybe you make mistakes, maybe you find out things don't work for you, but those really big core boundaries, 
even if you are in pain and are trying to escape from it, you want to make sure that you don't cross your own boundaries in those situations. That's, that's I think, easier to say than to do. But going back to that self-awareness and, and recognition of like, this is something that I'm really, really not okay with and not pursuing things that you know are those things. You know, if you're a person who absolutely does not want to be in a relationship where say I'm really, really not okay with a partner who abuses alcohol or drugs, I should not be okay doing that simply because I'm trying to escape something else. Like if I know that's something that is going to be a huge hard no in the future, not doing it in a moment to try to escape is a good thing. So really sticking to whatever those boundaries that you have are really is kind of like the only thing that you really can do. Because I think for a lot of us, it is learning it along the way and trying to learn it maybe with the least rocky path that we can, but we still have to take some sort of path to get there. For sure. And, and yes, thank you for bringing up the boundary thing because I mean, there were certain points looking back at my own experience and then also, you know, and people that I've worked with where it's like, if you had, a, if you had a said the word boundaries to me, then I would not have like, I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what I want, don't want. And it was totally not the case. <laughs> I had no idea <laughs> compared to how detailed I get with it now. So it's, you know, when I, when I first start working with people, it's like one of the, one of the first exercises we go into, which I imagine y'all are familiar with is the want, wills and won'ts. So what do you want? What will you do? And what won't you do? And I have this chart that's like, I don't know, 300, 400, maybe questions. It's pretty intense. And it goes into all the sexual things, acts, activities. And then it goes into like differing relationship dynamics. And, and, and it's really extensive. And for some people, you know, they are in, you know, their forties or fifties and we're going through this chart and they've never asked themselves these questions. What will they do? What won't they do? What are their hard limits and no's? And that goes with like all kinds of experiences for, you know, just generally. So it's like when that thing is offered, just because they've asked themselves and then they've answered themselves, they know they're like, oh, I don't want that thing. That thing is happening right now. I don't want that. And like just that gives like a little bit of, I'd say freedom in it all in a sense. So definitely like that's one piece of the boundary puzzle too, is um, the actual acts that are going down. If you can see something that's like in front of your face and you go, that's not something that I'm into. I know because I asked myself versus I'm in it and I need to make a decision while I'm kind of turned on and also kind of off put, but I'm in it already. So I might as well see what happens. Absolutely. So is there anything else you want to add before we hop into our speed round. That feels pretty good. Bring on the speed. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So um, yeah, we're going to go through these questions. The idea is to get them done as fast as you can. We say it's 10 questions in 60 seconds, but there's only been a few folks who have been able to get through all of them that quickly. Don't spend a ton of time on each question. So Alexa... What is something you're not very good at? Directions. What is the best piece of relationship advice you've ever received? Choose each other every day over and over again. And couples that make it have vision together. Awesome. 
What are three things that you couldn't live without? Hair straightener. A pet. Touch. Mm, Me too. What turns you on? Watching my partner shine in something that he's doing, especially when I watch other people watching him do it. Nice. Tell me something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on. (laughs) New Orleans is the coolest place in the world. Some people, some people are into that. (laughs) A book you would recommend for our listeners. Um, I'm pretty into Untrue by Wednesday Martin right now. What's your biggest fear? Unrealized potential. What's the most adventurous thing you've ever done? This could be a sexual thing or a non-sexual thing, but the most adventurous that you've done. Goodness. Great white shark cage diving in South Africa. Awesome. Who is your movie or TV star crush? Zac Efron. And if you looked at my partner, you'd know why. (laughs) (laughs) I can see that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Fair enough. What's something you're working on right now that you'd like our listeners to know about? Mm. So I'm working on my community space is called the Kaleidoscope. You can find it on Facebook. Um, I'm working on more offers and bringing in cool people to continue sharing knowledge, spreading the word, you know, bringing people together to connect about sex and relationships and the realities of sex and love and relationships in a container that is non-sexual. So I'm continuing to build and work on that. That's really exciting. That's something free that anybody can participate in. And it's one of my favorite spaces on the web. So where can people find you? So if they're looking for your work, that sort of thing, where can they find you at? It's pretty easy on Facebook. My public profile, like my main page is pretty out there. Um, That's where I share a lot of my personal stuff. I share a lot of my work. Um, You can find me moderating and adminning in the Kaleidoscope communities. There's a Kaleidoscope group that's uh, cross-denomination, cross-culture, cross-ethnicity, cross-age, cross-race, cross-all the things. Cross-genders, cross-sexualities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm in there every day. You can find me there. And also a bunch of other people who are curious about all of the things and sharing. Uh, What's so special about this space is how I have built its foundation, which is we share based off of personal experiences. So it's not a bunch of people just telling others how to do things. It's this is what has been my reality. And this is what I found. And that's the main place people share And then you're going to have people who are swinging way on the side of kinky and have like total fringe type of like preferences when it comes to kink and relationships. And then you have some people who have been married, same partners, uber vanilla, uber like, like vanilla and monogamous have to go together, but you know, like right on the, like way as far on the other end of the spectrum, as you can imagine, and are in that space learning as well. I believe that us coming together and understanding, attempting to understand each other allows for a lot of people to have a greater sense of empathy and compassion for others in the world. So find me, find me on Facebook, you find me on Instagram and also the violetbutterfly.com. That's some, some of the writings um, for myself and some other community members are on that space. Um, that'll be shifting to a new platform pretty soon. So stay tuned for updates there. 
Awesome. And we'll put some links in the show notes for you guys. So that way you can find Alexa. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with a really hard topic and heartfelt topic. So I appreciate you coming on and and chatting with us about that. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask, or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1. 